Gigapod is a podcast where we interview companies building exciting and economically sustainable business models in the gig, circular, and sharing economies. Make sure to subscribe and to find out more, go to gigapay.co forward slash gigapod. Welcome to Gigapod. Today we're on episode 25 and I am joined with Andreas Meselis Eliasson, who is the CEO and co-founder of Bitly. How are you going, Andreas? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm also doing well. I'm really excited to be talking to you because Bitly is one of those influencer platforms that have grown significantly during this time. And I really want to hear more about you and the business. So why don't we start it off? And Andreas, tell us a little bit about how you got into entrepreneurship at the age of 22 and what sort of inspiration you drew upon to sort of take that big leap of faith like you did in the beginning. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And I'm so happy to be here. And yeah, let's jump into it. Mm-hmm. Ever since I was very, very young, I've been an adventurer. I've been very curious and taking a lot of risks. So the uncertainty of not knowing what's behind tomorrow when you are a CEO and you run your own company, it's something that really motivates me. I think it's so fun to know it's like a roller coaster. You have days when everything is glory and you have days when it's just pain. It's so exciting for me because that's how I was when I was young as well. So I really love that environment and push it to the boundaries that you are comfortable with and taking stuff. That's great. So I guess for you, it's uh, about having high risk appetite, which I guess is what any entrepreneur needs to feel comfortable with. So you started your first company when you were 22, and it wasn't a a different area than what Beatley is today. But I guess there was, were there some sort of inspirations or role models that you had when you first took that leap at the younger age? My first company wasn't Beatley. I was 22 Mm -hmm. when I started my first one, and, and that was in the real estate sector. So working towards the real estate agents, I had a business towards them, helping them growing their sales. So mm-hmm. that, that was my first business when I was 22. And my role model that like, pushed me to that direction and inspired me was definitely my uncle. Because when I was young, none of my parents were running own companies. They were more like the comfortable type, having mm-hmm. this nine to five work. And they were really not excited hearing that their son was about to start his <laughs> own company. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have their support in that kind of way. But my uncle showed me because he's a self-made businessman. And I remember how my mother told me he was one of the first in Sweden to import fresh pasta. Mm-hmm. Like the fresh pasta that you can just put on, it just takes one minute and they are done mm-hmm. to serve. So he was one of the first one to import that. It was, I don't know, in the maybe 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. So it inspired me and and he's a businessman today and successful. So for me, seeing that it's possible to do whatever you want, if you just have the right mindset and just do stuff sometimes, that's very inspirational for me to see my uncle succeeding in that Mm -hmm. type of way. That's that's fantastic. So I guess it's a lot about having that role model very close to your family And I know that for a lot of entrepreneurs, when you're breaking away from 
sort of the set path that's set before you often by your parents, then it can be pretty, it can be pretty challenging, not just for yourself, but also for your family and how, how things are moving forward. So now you've successfully started two companies and just out of curiosity, how do your parents view you now as this amazing entrepreneur? I mean, I would say my mother is still the same. She's still okay. giving me calls each and every week and asking, how is it? Especially since Corona as well. But it's definitely not the same as it was uh, nine years ago, because mm-hmm. now she's more, I have somehow a track record in her eyes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and things haven't gone bad in that type of way. So, mm. but I remember that she was not happy when I told her that I was 22 and just got my own apartment and mm-hmm. I told her that I can't afford my rent mama because I'm going to start this company. So I have to move, move home to you again. Mm-hmm. And your home is also going to be my office. So I'm going to yeah. rent out my apartment <laughs> and move into you again. I mean, I wasn't that excited about that either. Imagine dating people and tell I'm living with my mother in a two-roomer. I live in the living room and mm-hmm. I work there as well. So it kind of drew me back a little bit. Friends mm-hmm. were studying or either working and I was alone in my kind of like my friends and my squad too to start a company. So, yeah. No, but that's great. I mean, you still pursued it anyway. I think for a lot of people that would be, I mean, there would have been many stopping points before that, sort of before moving ahead and actually pursuing their own journey. But Andreas, today you're the CEO of Beatly and you have, just tell us a little bit about the origin story. So how did you guys come up with the idea? Who are the founders? Just talk us through the last six years and how how everything has been. Yeah, sure. So Beta was founded in 2015. And by that time, I think it was my second year or the third year of my first company then. And Mm -hmm. a friend that I know who was studying had a lecture about social media and what's happening in that space. So they were talking about different parts in social media. And one of that parts was influencer marketing. So this was in the end of 2014. And the lecturer on that university was telling that these influencers that are kind of small now on these social media platforms, they're going to continue growing. We're going to see a lot of new influencers coming up and most likely the communities, the bloggers and etc. they're going to move to these platforms. And that kind of inspired him seeing data points on different medias that are not growing and how internet was growing and digital media marketing was growing. Mm. So he got back to me and asked me, I have an idea that I want to talk with you about and you are running a company and you're like the only one of my friends doing that. So can you tell Mm. me more about that being a founder of a company and how it works? And I'm also going to share with you the idea. Mm-hmm. And so I told him, it's really fun to run a company. I explain pros and the cons. It's not mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it's not fun every day in that sense. He was just telling me this lecture that I had. And he told me about influence marketing, what's happening right now. And I think there's an opportunity here to do something in this space. And the, the one thing that I see that the market doesn't have is a smart way to connect these influencers. You have traditional agencies that had exclusive contracts with a lot of influencers and they were managing them. And there was 
kind of no transparency on how much the influencer got and how much mm. the agency took. And mm. it was a new industry that was long way from being mature. Mm. So we sat down and started talking what we could do. And our focus was that in the very beginning, working with smaller influencers. Today, they are called micro-influencers or nano-influencers. Mm. But mm. back in, in 2015, the word influencer marketing wasn't even around. People were no. still saying bloggers and ambassadors and sponsored and stuff like that. And how do you see this influencer marketing landscape changed during these last six years? Because as you said rightly, that during that time, there's been a lot of mature, maturing in the space and you've gone from this sort of more blogger type setup and with the evolution of social media platforms, high usage on those platforms and the sort of change in the way that people are being the consuming media as well gives a very strong rise into what you've been building. So how have you really seen that whole landscape maturing during the last six years? This is just my own perspective of being in this industry, but I think Mm -hmm. we went through at least three different phases since Mm -hmm. I started. And the first phase was definitely a phase where people not knowing what this industry, what it was, what it was mm. called, what even what it was called, you didn't even know how would you measure it and what are the key metrics and nothing was really set in stone. Mm. And it still isn't really, I think. It's, mm. still, it's still maturing, but that kind of phase was a hard time to start a company. It was, of course, a lot of opportunities to get customers that didn't really know what they were buying, but they mm. were, were also companies that had bad experience because a lot of new companies started that doesn't really know what they were selling. And mm. that kind of made the industry very, very, it backfired. And it's always mm. like that in the industry when it's new. I remember Uber coming to Stockholm and they had Uber Pop and they mm. paid the drivers the full amount of the driving and and didn't like report it to the tax agency i, I remember that being a huge mm. thing and they had to draw back uber pop mm. so i think it's really 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 a thing that that always happening in an in industry yeah. so that was kind of the phase one and the phase two in 2017 i guess or 18 mm. it came to a phase where people were saying that this is a bubble and the influence marketing is not here to stay. They were probably, the influencers will probably die in some way, disappear. And this media, we will see about it if it's going to stay around or not. Then a year later, the tax agency in Sweden, Skatteverket, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of other agencies has sites under the government about if you are an influencer, this is how you should do when working mm-hmm. with brands. And they have the legalization is getting here. The advertising standards is getting here. So mm-hmm. the face is now in acceptance. So everybody is accepting that influencer will probably be around the next two, three, four decades. And the consumers and the people that are using these platforms really enjoy following in influencers, looking at them to see trends and news, Mm. whatever it is. So Mm. I think now we're on a phase that universities are teaching about influence marketing Mm. and we're going to see people getting more experienced and we're going to see companies hiring more of this expertise 
in-house and working with this a lot more. And it's going to be a lot more mature in the next couple of years. So definitely a big change from how it was back in 2015. Yeah, that's, that's great. And sort of off the back of that, have you seen that the types of personalities that have been attracted or identified as influencers, have you seen an evolution of that as well? A classic kind of influencers or... So, I mean, if you talk a lot about micro or nano influencers, then that could be a much more, a smaller scale, smaller reach, but higher, high engagement perhaps with, and I mean, five or six years ago, I would imagine that sort of person was not really identifying or seeing themselves as a potential influencer. So I'm just more curious, has the identity also shifted of of how people see themselves when they're engaging with influencer campaigns? Most definitely. It's a huge difference of how people seeing a person like you and me could Mm -hmm. literally go out and monetize and capitalize on our own social channels in some Mm -hmm. type of way. Mm -hmm. It's just a Google away. If you write, how do I make money on my Instagram account? How do I make money on my YouTube account? How do I make money on my Twitch account? There's a lot of educational things out there that people Mm -hmm. can take part of. So I think it's influencer, what it was before, a blogger or something, a celebrity is something that is so different today. And I think people are getting more and more of an understanding that just the average person is some kind of an influencer because I can influence my friends and tell them about things that actually make them take decisions on going Mm -hmm. to a restaurant. And that is kind of an influencer. And I mean, you've been seeing referral marketing. If you vouch for our restaurant or a friend, you get 10% discount. Mm. And that's kind of influencer marketing as well in something. And then me as a person can actually get something from it, telling Mm. about this. So definitely we've been seeing more and more about that. Yeah, that's great. And tell us a little bit about maybe what's the pitch of Beatly and what's the sort of, and what's your business model as well? Yeah, I'm happy to, of course. So Beatly is a self-service platform and a service where brands can find influencers all around the world and mm-hmm. collaborate with them. Mm-hmm. And you don't need any kind of expertise to start. You can mm-hmm. either get some help from us to get going, or you can just start by yourself. You often know as a company, what kind of target audience does I have and what kind of influencer do I want to be seen with? Mm -hmm. So it's an open self-service marketplace for influencers and brands. And we have services as well for those companies that doesn't really have the time or the experience or the knowledge to to do influence marketing themselves. And we can help them with that too. So that's kind of an enterprise service that we can offer Mm -hmm. as well. Okay, cool. And then I would imagine, is it like a marketplace model where you take a percentage of the transaction or the campaign? Or Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's uh, totally open, totally transparent. And mm-hmm. for those brands that need some more support and some customized, we have a software service model for those one in order to help them out and provide them what they need. Yeah. So it's both a marketplace, but also for those enterprise clients, a little bit more of a software service Mm. model. Mm. That's great. And I'm just going back, Andreas, what you said earlier, that when you guys first started out with Beatly and there was 
not a lot of transparency on the agency model where the agency would charge X, but then the influencer or the blogger or whatever they were called at that point in time, they didn't really know how much was being charged for their services. So I would imagine that having your model where it's very upfront, that it becomes a lot more attractive to influencers to choose your platform of others. So you say that you're a global solution right now and you're working, I guess, with a lot of global brands. Have you always been, was it sort of now we're launching Beatly and then first step, you're going to all the markets automatically or how has the, the sort of the expansion been for you from a geographical perspective? A very good question. And thankfully in Sweden, most companies, if you have an e-commerce company, if you develop an application or whatever, you are doing most Swedish companies have to think globally from the very start because Swedish mm. is a small country, but it's a perfect place to start one because we are very developed here in Sweden. We are mm. in, the, in the front. So in the very beginning, when we started, we targeted brands and companies that had, if it was an e-commerce company, they had their e-commerce in Denmark, in Finland. And then we were able to help them in those markets super, super early. Mm. So uh, we have done influencer campaign in, in 14 markets right now mm-hmm. cool. and helping brands such as we've been helping Bubble Room in the Nordics. Mm-hmm. We've been helping a lot of different brands basically in mostly Europe, but as well in UK and Canada as well. Okay, interesting. So, so that, that's how we entered the markets, getting the supply side with that being said, the influencers and knowing how does it work there and it's more culture barriers but influence marketing is still the same and if you are in sweden or or if in germany or if you're in the us or in brazil it's still the same and how the brands and influencers work together Mm -hmm. and how do you as you say on the supply side so how has it been attracting international talent towards your towards your platform It's so funny because we try to work with getting the supply side, the influencer side, the same way as often when you, if we work with a big influencer in Germany and we've been working with some of the bigger influencers or the cool influencers, Mm -hmm. then we can easily like show other German influencers that this influencer is part of the campaign or these influencers in Germany have we been working with and we know that they have a big reach. They are one of the coolest in the country and they have high engagement. And this really puts us in a trustworthy position when they can Mm. see, okay, they work with this influencer. I know her or him. Mm. And based on figuring out that kind of stuff, it really helped us out to get influencers on board. But it's still a hassle of the first couple of campaigns that you are about to do in a new market in order to get these first influencers on board. But when you have get that, it's like the snowball effect. It really it gets easier and easier. Yeah, I can imagine that. And with the influencers that are, are finding campaigns through, through your platform or being mentioned through your platform, is it usually side hustles that they're doing or do you see more and more that it's people sort of doing this doing influencer marketing work more as a full-time job or do you see more as a cross is there any and maybe i'm just off that it's more i'm more curious from a covid perspective if you've seen any changes in behavior 
I think there's some, I would say it comes to a point you can sometimes see on to an influencer that can work with their own channels and get their monthly what do you say salary to get everything around you can see a big difference on the quality and the time that they put in because they are like their profession now this is mm. like they have been putting their old job behind them and now they are just committed to work with their influencer channels and the ones that are not really there yet their goal is to get there of mm. course but i think you can see the ones that are professional about this this is the thing that gives them income they are really really super super professional and i don't say the other ones that has a job a full time job next to it doesn't do the same good job but it's a difference when you know that this is the only thing i have and this is the only thing that i need to focus on in order to get food on the table Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but there's really a difference there. And mm-hmm. we mostly work with those that either are really close to be able to only work with their influencer marketing. They can do collaborations and et cetera on their so much that they can go around or how do you say it? Mm-hmm. And the ones that are earning a lot of money on their influencer channels. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And do you see that... Because it, like you say, that this is an area that you, the more time that you spend with it, of course, the, the more sort of, the more professional that you can become. Do you have any sort of educations or academies for your influences as well? Or is this something that you're, you're looking at developing in the future? We don't have an academy. We had that discussion over the mm-hmm. years. But I think there's, of course, we have our blog where we try to educate our influencers as mm-hmm. much as we can, but not an academy yet but it's something definitely that we will have in the future yeah interesting so sort of moving on and when you and i spoke before while we're preparing for for this episode you mentioned that back in 2015 you were launching or you plan to launch an mvp for the self-service feature and in some ways that was before its time because like you said there's been three phases so far in the influencer marketing space so perhaps the environment wasn't ready for it and now you've launched it. So as an entrepreneur, what's one of your biggest learnings from this? So having a visionary product and then taking a few years for the market to catch up before you're able to release it or create something of more business value? It's a very good question. And I think most people would maybe give up after two, three years when they launched and focus on a product that doesn't take off. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, we and when we were speaking and when we when we spoke earlier, we launched a self-service that we went out to the market and to the advertisers. And they didn't really know how does influencer marketing work and the KPIs and etc. So basically, the advertisers that we got along on the self-service came to a point that there was, can you help me out? Can you do this influence marketing for us? We don't have, I don't have the time or, or the knowledge or this is not part of my job description to sit in the mm. influence marketing tool and do this. So it was a little bit too early. And then we saw some changes in, in the industry. And now it's in the third phase as in my opinion, where mm-hmm. the timing is perfect for a product like ours to 
for the market. And for me, it's about either you give up or either you continue. And either some people might think you should give up after two years if your product hasn't flew yet. But I look at a little bit of, if you look at Netflix, they were selling like DVDs in the middle of the 19s and that was their, their, like the whole of their revenue and they adapt and they changed and they are growing this last 10 years, if you look at their revenue growth, it's crazy compared how it looked in the 19s and, and the early mm. 2000s. So that really reminds me of things take time and you shouldn't look at it as it's a short sprint of one or two years. Building a good company takes a lot of time and you should just stick to your like, vision and your dream and don't be too stressed out about it. Mm, mm, that's important. And I think just going to the Netflix case, that's really, I think it hits home for a lot of entrepreneurs. And also, I believe with the Netflix case, they brought on a new CEO or was it a team member who helped sort of reshape the business model and the thinking around what Netflix was that really helped them accelerate this growth. So just talking a little bit about team, Because obviously you're a very hungry and ambitious person with a lot of energy, which I'm sure really motivates your team. But how do you, especially now during sort of COVID times and remote work and things like that, how do you make sure that they're all motivated and excited about what what the vision is with Bitly? It's definitely been more important than ever to be present with your team than it Mm -hmm. maybe was before, I think. I think I talk more and put more time into having conversations than I ever had before. So I think it's more about staying in touch more. And I think the whole COVID situation made the team stronger together because Mm. in a situation of uncertainty of a time of some kind of a crisis, there's two options that, that I think most people have some people in a crisis they go into what do you say a state where they are in panic and they Mm. don't really know how to act or what what's tomorrow but as for me being an entrepreneur I can't really see another option than seeing what solutions do I have I have to think what can I do now in order to get the ship going Mm-hmm. And that's how I've been trying to communicate. This is something we have to go through together. It's going to be good in the end. Not to being a little too dramatic about it, but I think leadership is super important in these times and staying just with your team and like repeat for them that in the end, when this is done, we're going to come out here and be stronger than we were before this. And we're going to take, we're going to have the seeds that we are growing now and how we can get out from from this situation and what do you say just like a flower we're gonna come out yeah. from this crisis and it's gonna be a flower that stronger is, than ever yeah exactly i guess yeah and how do you sort of take that essence of what you have right now and how you're going to take it as you scale so i think that's one thing that founders it can be hard when you're sort of at the top but then you sort of trickle through you get more people on board like how do you keep that motivation up Right now, I think since we are more and more focusing on on our software, it's super important to the next recruitments that we do. And I'm not talking about the next five to 10 recruitments. I'm talking about up to 100 persons that Mm -hmm. that we're eventually going to be. 
So how many are you now? We are 14 right now. Okay, cool. And it's super important that we get the right person that are aligned with the vision that we have, since Mm -hmm. we are more focusing on on our software Mm -hmm. and building this marketplace for brands all around the world. It's going to be super important to get the right team and really like put in the time to, to do the interview and me doing the interviews and our my co-founder, Victor, being there, meeting the people and the whole mm. team that's going to work with this person. So it not goes down to that. This If it goes down to that it wasn't a good match, a lot of us early in the process have been agreeing that this person was a good match. But if it goes in the end that it didn't, was it? then it is what it is. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I, I always like this quote, hire for, hire for attitude and not for skill or something like that. And it's just, especially when you're so young and the team and there's only 14 people, adding one other person to the team who can disrupt it can be devastating. But we're running quickly out of time. It's gone so fast and I've really loved talking to you. But I do have one last question for you, Andreas, and that's about scaling because yeah. you're going, going through scaling mode right now. So what's, what's your biggest tip for any other owners or operators listening to this pod episode? Yeah, I think sticking to the super users that you have in your product is super important to understand what motivates them to keep using your service or in our case, our platform to understand how can we get them being more happy and what can we learn from them? Because there's a reason why they're using it that kind of crazy. So mm-hmm. understand what the super users, what, why are they happy and how can you find more of those? Who mm-hmm. are they? And that's something that really, really put a lot of timing to have finding the perfect fit for our service. When you have been finding that, write it down, put time on how did they find us and what can we do to repeat this? And that's something that my tip is is going for. That's a a great tip. I love it. Very powerful if implemented. Wow. So that's great. And Andreas, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed listening about Beatly and more especially learning about you and the journey that you've made. Thank you so much for for sharing your time with us. And it's been a pleasure to have you on this episode. Thank you very much for having me. Enjoyed being part of it. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe and to find out more, go to gigapay.co forward slash gigapod.